The year is 1985. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we go through all of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and alongside Dave, the comic book expert, who I can't help but notice, Dave, you keep you keep pulling out the camera and snapping these candid photos of me. I, I always thought it was just for your personal collection, but I opened up this month's issue of Podcaster Boys Monthly, uh-huh. and I find a, a candid photo of myself in there. Have you been selling yeah. photos of me to Podcast Boy Monthly? No, that's really weird that they would have had that candid of you. Um, and it, and it's you expressing a very honest opinion mm-hmm. about yeah, I mean, your, your, your dislike of Walt Simonson's Thor. Let's be clear. Yeah. Like, it's you being very... I just... I want to be candid. I don't like Simonson's Thor is what you're saying in the photograph. But you're extremely clothed. Mm-hmm. Like, couldn't have more on. Well, I mean... Oh, all right. The opposite <laughs> joke I was just about to make. Um... And, uh, yeah, 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 I mean, it's just surprising. But you know what? I mean, I believe you. It definitely was hackers. It's probably probably those damn, damn Antifa super soldiers got into my computer again and would sell my photos. They, right, they do. Let me, hang on, just let me, um, I just want to point my phone at you on the recorded mm-hmm. screen real quick. Yeah. And just uh, ignore that clicking. That's when I get a text is what mm-hmm. that uh, sound and flash <laughs> is about Whew. there that's just this my is, text noise so, I'm so stressed okay. out i'm just gonna pop this shirt off real quick during yeah the you can you can just and i knew off. you didn't have pants on already because that's just how you record um this is this is my marvelous year in one half pantsless podcast let's be clear about that uh cool good intro i think everybody's very clear on what the show is and what we do um is there anything else we want to share with them uh no okay yes no we're fine. good <laughs> Okay, so uh, if you want to find the reading list for the comics we're covering, you can find them in the show notes for this episode. Also, the comics we're going to be covering next episode are in there. You can back us for a buck a month on Patreon, and I send out a newsletter. Uh, We have a spreadsheet you can get access to for five bucks. Um, Then... Uh, let's see where else you can get kind of the uh, the slightly outdated one of the comic book herald website um i don't know should we fix that someday someday N- no it's v- no very unlikely um, a that said <laughs> you know the the lists and all that are free it's free to play mm-hmm. um for everybody we want to be very yeah. clear about that you, oh, what yeah. zach was alluding to there is if you go to my com, you can find all the uh the, the original version of the list but again the easiest way to get them is in the show notes and what yeah. we do is we read through marvel comics from its origins to today and today we're on 1985. This is part two of our coverage of the year. And we're going to read through a curated list of some of the most uh, compelling and and important and occasionally best comics of the year. Zach, we have a lot to unpack in this episode. Um, so this is mm. 85 part two, and we're recording this uh, the week of June 1st, 2020. Oh, is anything going on, Dave? Late <laughs> in June. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the world. Um, and these comics definitely tap into sort of the history and the legacy, but completely unintentionally, 
right? Like, let's be clear. Just that innately. we're reading these right now. You mean? Yeah. Like we're. Oh we're, yeah. We're yeah. Yeah. Dealing, oh no! I mean, a, it couldn't be like worse timing for uh, <laughs> for us to be reading these comics for like. Oh great! This is uh, this is perfect timing for us to white podcast boys to be like. Hmm. Let's let's give our views on uh, <laughs> on how Marvel's. Yeah, I I don't want to do that. It's terrible timing. Um, I yeah. don't want to say. Uh, what I do want to address is there is horrific racism and injustice and police brutality mm. that is being protested in America right now, and these comics definitely tap into that by virtue of just dealing with this this thing that we take for granted, honestly, of um, superheroes working alongside police. And uh, some of, we'll talk about the specifics of the stories. Sure. Um, but it's a it's a thing that might be uncomfortable and and. It, it definitely, I notice, well, the thing I'll acknowledge more than anything is I look at these stories differently today than I did when I read them four years ago for the club at that time, which mm-hmm. is part of my own privilege, right? I 100% acknowledge that. I think probably, men, and, and again, like a lot of this is just things dawning to me as I try to learn and listen and grow um, that are very self-evident to other people. And and some people don't see them at all, right? Um, it's just that's the way of things. But these stories, they, I, I got like zero escapist enjoyment out of any of this. Not a complaint, not woe is me. My comics are, you know, impacted. It's not a complaint. It's a good thing. Um, but that, that was the case for these Spider-Man stories. And I think that's going, that has to be a part of the way we look at them now. Um, and I, I just want to be clear about that. It, you know, there are other pieces of this like there's still fantastical elements to all of this um the the fantastic four reed richards and sue pretending they are the benjamins living in the suburbs and getting um threatened by a witch right like i i don't see parallels <laughs> to to oh, the yeah. protest well, i'm no, not gonna yeah, make of course. Of i'm course not, not gonna make broad connections to everything you know what i mean that's not what i'm oh, here no. to do um, i mean <laughs> I feel like you're you're worried about it a little much. I mean, the thing that we're talking about is like we're no, it's reading not comics worry so much as just like a- acknowledgement. Um, no, I, I know, but like of, I, I mean, we're I'm reading seeing. we're reading Spider-Man: the the death of Captain, the death of DeWolf. What's her name? The death of Jean DeWolf. Is, Jean DeWolf. Uh, is and it's I mean, Spider-Man it is story. like it is absolutely draping all the issues of like policing and uh, racial tensions all over it. Right. So like we can't talk about it without talking about how it deals with these issues um but that's i mean you know otherwise you know fantastic four going to space she hulk is dealing with paparazzi etc so yeah i mean i i feel like we and probably I, and would I don't not think be... there are issues we've skirted around throughout no, no, the I show don't, i don't honestly. think so like we're gonna we, we talk about these things and the way they, they connect to the real world we'll, and i think we'll cover them in the, of... the same way as, as always but i do think you know it does feel oh 100 it's just like the magnitude of the real world is amplified yeah. to such a degree Sure, you know I tried I mean? to go play a little Spider-Man PS4 the other day, and like literally got there, and I was Same like, thing. "You know what? That, I mean, that has always bothered me." And I've read articles about this, and like it, playing that the first time, I was like, "Man, this really, uh, this really loves to talk about Spider Cop." Well, I, you know, I mean, even that joke is, doesn't bother me that much. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, guess I don't, more don't, the okay, it's the overall ahead. it's the overall tenor of like you know. Uh, the only good criminal is a criminal with his face in the pavement, like tone that Spider-Man yeah. has throughout that whole thing, which has always rubbed me the wrong way since I started playing that game. Um, but it was bad enough that I was like, ah, that this is, I am too angry right now for any of this. Anyway, something positive. Um, 
I want to say the community has been excellent about this. Like, our little community has just been, like, so great and so encouraging. Uh, I haven't told you this yet, Dave, but we've raised $400 for community bail bonds. Bail well, bonds. that's awesome. Yeah, through this so far. And it's only been two days, I think, since I've been uh, reaching out for people um, for donations. So, uh, yeah, I've been uh, I've been really encouraged by people and really appreciate all the, you know, coming together for that. Cool. And so. the deal there is Zach said that he if you donate i believe a hundred dollars hundred bucks to like your you know I, I put up a link for a national bail bond organization but if you have a local one or um you know helping rebuild uh you know some people of color who had small businesses that have been damaged something you know something like that but something directly impacting um this uh that i will uh let you i'll record a little miniature my marvelous year like a five issue miniature episode with you we'll uh, we'll set something up and um yeah, sure. I mean, I, so if I you want, if you want to take my spot and record a pod exactly. with yeah. Zach, and you you can you can give it to him like I like to give it to him. Oh, don't! Oh, genuinely, <laughs> or, don't encourage. Or you that. can just have a nice chat. Yeah, no, only the second one is going to happen. Um, yeah, no, be yeah. polite. But uh, but yeah, no, it's a cool opportunity to to talk some comics and and hopefully donate in a way that you are um, maybe thinking about doing so already. And obviously, mm-hmm. if you can't. There's other ways to support. Um, I sure. would. I don't often plug my own articles, but I would actually encourage everybody if you haven't seen it, uh, go over to Comic Book Herald and check out the ways to support Black comics creators and books. That's something I'm trying to do: is uh, direct people to just like, hey, how can we uh, support Black artists during this time? Really make a point to do it. And if nothing else, uh, and if you haven't read March, please read March. I would. Uh, I'm rereading it now and. It is, uh, it is an amazing work. It's a, a kind of the autobiographical experience of Congressman John Lewis in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And it's um, extremely well-known comic, very high-ranking on my best comics of all time. And it's uh, it's incredibly insightful and important. So, all right, let's, let's talk. Let's jump into some of this. Oh, I so... Uh, <laughs> let's I, talk I, about how much we don't like Hobgoblin because I'm sure we're on the same page here. Uh, I'm No? I'm kind of, you know what? Like, I, I You're like coming around com- on me now? I, I, okay, no, I don't. I don't think I care that much about Hobgoblin, but I like these uh, these, these amazing Spider-Man issues enough. Like I thought the uh, yeah. just like general. This is I, I was thinking about this, and I think just the general quality of Spider-Man, with maybe one glaring exception, this year, <laughs> is just like Spider-Man just goes down so easy. Even like like what's the worst Spider-Man? I don't think I, I think you've had a little less patience for like when he started lagging in the seventies than I do, but like. Even the absolute pits of Spider-Man comics, I'm usually just, like, kind of on mm. board with. Like, Spider-Man's just, uh, I don't know, whatever reason, he's just so, like, likable, and I like the, the overall tone of just, like, yeah, it's a, you know, superhero, very ground-level superhero mixed with the, the personal soap opera of Peter Parker mixed together that I'm I'm always kind of on board with him. So the floor is very high with me for Spider-Man. So even uh, with some Hobgoblin stories where I'm just like, God, it's, uh, it's year five of you not telling us who this guy is, huh? <laughs> like, you're really trying to yeah. take this out. I'm still like, this is fun. Um, I'm still generally invested in this. I think the thing about is that is DeFalco? if the floor is very high, which I probably agree with, the yeah. ceiling is incredibly low. I am uh, cramped, I... Zach. And I am not as tall as you. I'll admit it. <laughs> No, I'll I, admit I think it, man to man. Very, very rarely. I, it's just does like this... when is when is Spider-Man excellent? When mm, was the last time Spider-Man point. was excellent? This is something I think about actually. Even now, um, there was I forget what it was, but there was a conversation a little while back around you know the way Immortal Hulk transformed a character in a mm-hmm. series into primetime critical prestige must buy status, right? That sort of like visionary reinvention 
that that made Hulk right now a must-buy for the first time certainly since Planet Hulk. There have been other works in there. I don't want to discount all the work on Hulk, but you know what I mean, right? Just this like mm-hmm. stunning transformation. Way easier said than done. I feel like Spider-Man still needs that in 2020. Like, like he's yeah. in this middle ground of just always pretty good. Oh, always chugging And always along. my always, favorite character. Yeah, he's very comfort food, for sure. Yes. Well, I mean, okay. Yes. So, to be fair, have you heard of a little comic called Sins Past? You've heard of a little comic called <laughs> One More Day? Is that what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, but, like, there are there are Spider-Man works this decade, or this past decade, Superior Spider-Man, I think is absolutely excellent. Um, it, even throughout the Dan Slott era which is the most recent long-running era, which obviously we'll get to one day here in the My Marvelous Year Club, there's really good stuff within there. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like that idea of it's actually kind of hard to point to the the runs that are like 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 a Dark Knight Returns for Spider-Man, if you will. Sure. That isn't yeah, no, the original that's a, that's 60s. That's a really interesting point, yeah. Because, I mean, like, yeah. where, where does Spider-Man ever break free of, like... I mean, this format, really, right? Like, it's a street-level NYC boy. You know, and I mean, it's like... So it's hard Craven's to, like, Last you... Hunt is the thing that's going to break tonally a little bit mm, and I think okay. really stand I, out, which I'm that, excited yeah. to get to in the club. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget exactly what that is. I think it's 88, 89, something like that. Um, I, the thing with Spider-Man is, like, they've tried it. Like, there's... They've tried to do that Dark Knight Returns kind of thing. Like, there's Spider-Man Reign, R-E-I-G-N, um, mm-hmm. in which Mary Jane gets uh, radiation poisoning from Peter Parker's uh, unmentionable... Peter Parker. Peter Parker's Parker? <laughs> no, that's not right. I mean, you could have gone um, with... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's not it. Uh, anyway, that's not good. It's not a good comic. It's also not a good tonal fit for spider I mean, the, but the thing right? is, that's still playing in the realm of, like... I mean, that sounds literally like a soap opera. Right, so like it's still playing in that realm of like interpersonal soap opera with ground level, you know, like mid-powered superhero in New York City. I think it's probably hard to do something really shockingly new and creative with that format, right? Like, that, well, except a- for you look outside comics, mm-hmm. and you have Into the Spider Verse doing it exceedingly well. You have, um, I would say, the Spider-Man PS4 game, which we just described, and with having problems, obviously. But that does it in a very like when you oh, get I, outside oh, I, of the medium. I mean, suddenly, there are these really interesting I, I ways. Think, of I think those those things sound those things are fresh for the mediums that they are in. But I don't mm. think like I think you could translate the Spider-Man PS4 game to a comic, and it would be like a pretty B plus Spider-Man comic. Like I've played a yeah. decent amount of that so far, and it's like yeah, it's, the story's pretty good. It's just very good for a Spider-Man video game. Right, like it's very cinematic. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a demanding and perhaps unfair thing, but for Marvel's number one character, it's just that thing where like I'm, I'm just not excited by what's happening in these comics. I think you know part of that is I picked a lot of these Hobgoblin issues um, because Hobgoblin, as a '90s animated series boy, you mm-hmm. know, like he was a character who stood out to me, and I'm curious to learn more about him. And he's got this mystery thing going on. I think these issues do a nice job with bringing Harry Osborn back into the fray and his legacy of goblin stuff, right? So you get all the you get all the players, right? You get all the the Peter Parker people in his life players um wrapped up in a, you know, saga of him versus the hobgoblin. Um it's just like it's not I don't know, it's not exceptional and that's fine. Like most comics aren't. I'm I'm just kind of it's it's just kind of boring, I guess. Like it, I don't know, that's harsh. That that's not really what I mean to be saying, I think. But that is that is what i said (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, so, I mean, I, I like these, but, you know, like, I think that is... We've talked about this a little bit, like, Doctor Strange is not always my jam, you know? Like, just doesn't personally do it for me. Spider-Man is just very comfort food for me, so even, like, a lot of comics that I yeah. can acknowledge are, like, just solid B-pluses forever. Like, I'm always gonna like a nice, solid B-plus Spider-Man story, so... You know, and I guess you saying that is that's, like, almost exactly what I've been saying about Ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yes. When we well, talk I mean, about I, that on I my Ultimate year. Yeah, I feel similar. I like I like this adult Spider-Man a little more, but like, yes, I mean that's how I feel about the Ultimate Spider-Man as well. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. It's just uh, enjoyable, and it goes down easy, and I know this character, and it feels like familiar and comforting, and you know, maybe it is not like artistically challenging, and it doesn't take him in new places like yeah, the Dark that, Phoenix that's Saga exactly. or Days Where of is Future he going? Past, where it's just like. Oh wow! You just introduced like whole new universe of stories for this, you know, this character to to live in. Um, right. I mean, that's why stuff like Sins Past and One More Day is just so valuable to the Spider-Man mythos, and like why we're still the ramifications of those comics are still being felt. In- yeah, we, I should probably clarify. <laughs> Zach, Zach really <laughs> likes bad modern Spider-Man stories. Um, um I love you know I don't really like them. critically panned Spider-Man stories. It's I funny because like say. I I just mostly think I actually think Sins Past is like a real. B plus of a story. Like I don't think it's an incredible story. I just which, think well, like, which compared to the you know consensus overwhelming like obviously F of it is, I think that's absurd. That's crazy. Um, I don't anyway, think it's actually. Yes. Uh, there's a very bad thing in Sin's past. But anyway, we'll talk. We're gonna talk. About oh one yeah, day. we're. Oh, it's getting and, added uh, to the list. You know what? I think maybe that's maybe that's part of where my negativity comes from. Is just like Zach. You know, there's that thing of like I want to get uh I want to get to current time, Zach. Mm-hmm. I want to get there, and we gotta we gotta get through these eighties. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy. And as I've said the before, 80s. the '80s almost kill me. Let's not remember them quite so fondly, right? Yeah, right. I don't right? Know. You're referencing something that I don't remember, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> the Ramones the or setting. something. The Ram- No, that'd be probably cooler. Um, yeah. All right. So, uh, anything you want to say about issues 260 and 261? Yeah, I mean, I Tom DeFalco just like does a good. Um, I think it just does, you know, a good solid Spider-Man story. Mary, I like Mary Jane. Knows Peter Parker. It's just as fun here as it is in the Ultimate Spider-Man line. Like him having a close ally who uh, who knows about his secret is pretty f- interesting to me. That's um, a good development. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I like that. Aunt May is mad at Peter uh, because he like dropped out of college and wants to become a photographer. And I agree. Uh, I also really like. There's a couple letters pages here that. Wait, re- who do you re- agree with, May or Peter? Um, oh, I agree with Aunt May. Like, Peter Parker's not living up to his potential. Okay, um, fair. Yeah. I like, there's a lot of letters pages here. There's a few letters that reminisce that, that incredible classic all-time letter of just like, get that boy back on those apron strings. We need Aunt May back in his life. Like, have... <laughs> yeah. You writers don't know what you're doing if you don't find a way to get him to live with Aunt May again. Like, that old hag yeah. needs to be part of his life. Like, I, I love that letter. Anyway, there's a few that are just like... You know, Aunt May being mad at Peter Parker just is antithetical to everything that is Aunt May. And you don't understand this character if you think that making her mad at him is okay. <laughs> that was very cute. I mean, it's um, kind of true in that you do. At this is this is definitely an era where they're starting to give May a little more depth. You know, I where mean, she's kind of. Just she's, she's uh, no, no. I don't want to overcredit it. I don't want to overcredit yeah. it. But the fact, but I that's not a thing I thought of. Like the fact that she's even scolding him. Um, yes, beyond yeah, just like no, wear a sweater right. when you yes. go outside is yeah, like right. it's giving her thoughts <laughs> about what he should be and what he should do with his life and you know we I think modern like you think of Aunt May as kind of like the cool aunt you know is definitely the more of the angle she's taken whereas here she is still a billion years old and always gonna get really really ill 
Um, but she's she's de aging a little in her personality, maybe in her attitudes. Yeah, except now she's a landlord, and it's like Aunt May, read the room. It's twenty twenty. Like landlords have never <laughs> been less hot. You, Aunt May, the landlord. Doing? Yeah, you forget about that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, okay, so yeah, those those are fine. They're good. I mean, they're just fun Spider Man comics. I enjoyed them. Um, next, we read. Ooh, what's the number? I don't have it in front of. What do you think about the inclusion of two sixty six? I was so happy you farce, put this here. Maybe. This, yeah, it, just like a, a goofball, uh, yeah, off-the-wall inclusion, huh? Yeah, to have a nice, like, fun goofball. And I was a little confused because I did not know there was both a Frogman and a Toad. Um, that, like, I yeah. mean, I knew about Toad from the X-Men. And this is like, so to- Toad is standing on top of a building about to jump off. And people on the street are just like, yeah, do it. We want to see your body splat <laughs> in front of us. Like, it's very weird. As, it's like. As it commonly happens. Yeah. It's, when gatherers are outside and see someone. Yeah, it's not, not to, people uh, screaming and, you know, like being clearly upset the way they would be because uh-huh. they don't want to watch a man die. They're just like, I can't wait to hear your body splat. Like, it's very yeah, weird. Very normal reactions. It, yeah. Toad is, we should mention, you know, he is the the um, original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, lackey to Magneto, most mm-hmm. commonly seen bullied and and beaten down by Magneto. Like a, liter- a literal in those comics. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And But here he is, uh, he's a man, Zach. This man, this frog, nice little callback to this man, mm-hmm. this monster in Fantastic Four number 51, even though uh, these this frog farce has very little to do with that. Um, so yeah, they bring in Toad. He's, he's you know, thinking about suicide. Spider-Man swings in and saves him as he's falling, uh, calling to mind, uh, to me, the Incredibles, when Mr. Incredible saves someone and is then sued for the uh, act. Yeah. Toad does not sue him, but he then wants to become uh, friends and good pals with Spider-Man. Spider-Man, you know, talks him down essentially by saying like i'm here for you i care about you which is good it's peter parker being good but then toad uh really takes it to heart and wants to become his sidekick moving forward and then he just gets like a series and then there's another guy called frogman who apparently is Mm -hmm. like a very like d-list hero right he's like some inventor who i I didn't know and he looks enough like toad that i was confused for a little of this like yeah he he just kind of looks like toad stocky short they both actually look out of costume very similar so, uh, but he also like kind of wants to be Peter Parker's sidekick, and it like sees that Toad is like trying to be his sidekick on TV, and is like, "Yeah, I'll show him." He's only got room for one frog-themed sidekick in his life, and then it turns mm-hmm. into like, I don't know, it, it's a farce and it's fun, and then like Spider Kid shows up, who I don't know who Spider Kid is, but who's I mean, he's a kid who like shows up with a like a Doc Ock suit. He's like a chubby little kid with a Doctor Octopus set of mechanical arms and a yeah, Spider-Man so suit. Yeah, his name, yes, his Oliver name Osnick. is Oliver. Osnick, mm-hmm. and he did actually debut well earlier in the Spectacular Spider-Man in issue number seventy-two. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a a young, <laughs> overweight teen who idolizes Doctor Octopus, but also digs Spider-Man because mm-hmm. he's wearing a Spider-Man costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very um, cute. He yeah. shows up at the very end of this. Yeah, so it's all just comedy and ridiculousness. I mean, some of the jokes don't land certainly, but it's just like the spirit of it is just fun enough that it's frankly enjoyable this is all written by peter david um mm-hmm. sal Buscema, joe rubenstein who uh, oddly enough we're about to read another peter david story here that is quite grim and just the and serious um tone yeah yeah and i, I actually think <clears throat> he's we're going to read a lot of his or a fair amount of his incredible hulk work too which isn't uh, he's a very punny writer uh, he does enjoy um like incorporating jokes in sort of a an environment of an atmosphere that is more comical than not. I think of in the 2000s, his X Factor series does a pretty good job with this. Um, so this this issue is definitely like clearly, clearly leaning heavily into that. 
it's not important. <laughs> doesn't you know it's not gonna impact no, anything good. but it's, like it's you're good, saying uh, comfort food yeah. it's a I break it, you know yeah. i i liked yeah. it and it's a nice little you know wink at like some of the stuff that spider-man can be doing at this time like peter parker's reactions are funny um yeah what is not funny this is uh, i hated this <laughs> oh wait let's talk about Web Web spider-man, spider-man number one first yeah no no let's talk oh, about the next first. one <laughs> yeah this so one was spider-man okay. number one yeah. debuts in uh in 85 here this is written by louis simonson we got pencils by Greg LaRoque with inks by Jim Mooney. Um, mm-hmm. Colors by George Russos and letters by Janice Ching. So, again, this is the launch of a new ongoing Spidey series that is going to run for a decent amount of time. Uh, Louis Simonson, wife uh, at this time, I guess, um, of Walt Simonson. They're still married, one of the power couples in comics history. So good to see her at the writer's table. Uh, Web of is important because it's all about a final last stand of the symbiote costume. That alien costume that Spider-Man picked up back in 84 Secret Wars is still clinging to Pete. It actually escaped the Fantastic Four facility where we left it and is masquerading in Peter Parker's closet as a regular Spider-Man costume. Spooky. Which is I love pretty it. good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, pretty good. Um, this, this issue definitely calls to mind a lot of the stuff that was pulled into the 90s animated series with Peter dealing with trying to get rid of the symbiote. Uh, so he puts on his costume to go you know, fight crime, and uh, it, it clings to him, and he realizes it's the symbiote and tries to get it off, and he can't because it's got a mind of its own. So, like, most of the issue is him swinging around, the like, against his will mm-hmm. with the, the suit um, pulling him, essentially, and him fighting himself, basically, which actually make for some really fun visuals. He's got some mm-hmm. quotes here, like, yeah. you know, I, I won't be your puppet, you know, like, I'd, I'd rather die than be the symbiote's puppet. Um, it's pretty good, and all of this leads to a confrontation with the new and uh, now comically like goofy, but not necessarily play this way in the series, villains, the Vulturions, who mm-hmm. are like acolytes of the Vulture, basically. Like, they got Vulture tech, and they all fly around, and... Uh, and I, if I mean, there's they, anything they, less they cool than Adrian Toomes, it's yeah. like people who imitate him. They like stole his tech <laughs> too, too. He was just like, yeah, he's like a lonely old man in prison, and all I did is strike up conversation, and he told me how to build wings. So, yeah, um, which which the vulture that's talking to people in prison yeah. is like thirty percent of crime in New York. In, in spider <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he does keep creating copycats by just like you know letting people in on the secret. Yeah. Um, the Louise Simonson, I've read a few of her comics now. I think, like, big ideas, fine and good, like the overall writing of it. I think her mm-hmm. prose is severely lacking and feels like 15, 20 years out of date. Like, it feels mm-hmm. very old-fashioned. She's just got a very, like, radio serial... I don't know. Like, compared with Tom DeFalco, this stands out to me so much as just, like, stilted and kind of awkward, like, banter in a way that has no... uh no rhythm and just feels kind of yeah yeah kind of awkward it got, kind of feels like when we read the worst of brian michael bendis and it's like this is 20 years old and you feel it right like mm. sometimes you don't get that but sometimes you're just like oh this and this isn't me saying that this feels like it comes from the 80s this feels like it comes from like the 60s or 70s sometimes just like silver age kind of hey there buster you better watch out because i'm on my way to punch you give you five fingers of justice that kind of thing like first off i love what you did there i'm thank you i, I, I just uh, that and do the, and contribute that dialogue in uh, our. Well, I have it all. Story. I have it all typed up here because I did write that ahead of time, and right, I didn't just come up with that. Off t- the top it's all of the caps. Top. Five fingers of justice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's the name, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I'm excited to see that one. Um, I really like Louis Simonson's um, X Factor. Her work on that mm-hmm. title, especially once husband Walt joins uh, on the art side of things, 
is the title I I think of most fondly of her writing. Uh, so we'll have to see as as yeah. the yeah, opportunity yeah. progresses to write more comics how that continues to shake out. I'll say too here, like I haven't actually read a ton of Web of Spider Man. Most of this was missing, and actually chunks of it, like big chunks of it, are still missing in Marvel Unlimited. So if there are big Web of fans out there, write to us at mymarvelousyeargmail.com or let us know in the Slack if you're a part of that. Um, to uh to check out some issues because those would definitely be uh on my radar to add this go round cool yep so let's get into the death of gene DeWolf, which is oh wait, wait. before we do that uh the the web of spider-man number one ends with the kind of iconic peter parker finding a large bell oh yeah oh super iconic. And the sonics of a very large um you know like a uh, liberty bell kind of thing bell tower uh, yeah yeah they, well, we, it's, he, it's very weird because he's just like yeah the bells are ringing the, the suit is getting vibrated off him because it hates suit or hates suit. It hates sound. And, uh, suit <laughs> and Spider-Man <hates> <laughs> Spider is like, as the suit is coming off of him, he's falling unconscious and he's just like, Oh no, I guess this is the end. B- Bell's turning my brain into jelly. Ugh. Yeah. And like passes out. And that's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Bells aren't going to turn your brain into, j- what do you mean? You've never <laughs> been. A- uh, first off, I'll, I'll, answer matters of the brain thank you i'm gonna uh, um, t- google in right now bell's brain jelly and you'll you'll find an article on comicbookherald.com <laughs> written by dr whoa check out this <laughs> that's what you'll um, find two two good articles here one fabulous jelly uh, use your brain to lose weight um sure. <laughs> number two yeah. how jellyfish rule the seas without a brain so <laughs> i think i think that proves my point Good reading, if you guys are interested in those articles. <laughs> um, but then, yes. Yeah, and uh, the symbiote gets off him, and uh, and then the symbiote is out in the wild for oh, no, a good it, long while, but Peter Parker is know. no longer God, wearing it, He's just, I think, he's, crucially. He's writing his own fan fiction again, folks. No, the symbiote gets off of him, and it drags him to safety. It drags Peter Parker to safety. And well, it cares Peter about Par- him. It's been living And then it evaporates. You know, it that's gets- actually an interesting development, because that actually has, that has a weird amount of legs. You know, it seems like a small thing, but that has a surprising amount of legs. Yeah, uh, just this for, is like, a, the I'm nature just gonna channel of you symbiote. for. I'm just gonna channel Dave for a quick second. Oh, the suit didn't look like it had legs to me. Just was a blob. That was my impression okay. of you. I almost made a joke that it slithered and didn't use legs, and mine <laughs> been better. Let's be clear. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Gosh. Gosh. Um, yeah. So it's saved, it parodied. saves Peter Parker, and then it is destroyed by the bells. It doesn't go is off it, to live its own life. Is it's it, gone though? from now on. Yes. Okay, gone. you're right. So, although Peter Parker is wearing it throughout Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man. And no, is it just so a that's, suit? that's why I was bringing it up, because when we get to PPSSM, as I call it. PPTSSM. <laughs> which definitely everyone's going to enjoy listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, he's wearing the black suit again. And I had to look up, wait, does this actually come before Web of Spider-Man number one? It does not, because Peter then fashions himself a black cloth suit. Just this is no so longer rad. symbiote. Okay. He just decided I, I that, he liked he the colors. It, he pulls it up uh, and like to to drink milk or something. What is he drinking? Hot chocolate. <laughs> well, he's not. <laughs> he's a, not a pervert, so it wouldn't be milk. Yeah. Well, he's like in in the cop car with. Uh, I don't know uh, why I just insulted like, myself. Let me take, <laughs> yeah, let me take a swig <laughs> thank, of milk. Thank here. you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for. Oh my God! He did just pull out. Is that? A, it's a sixty-four ounce uh, Nalgene bottle full of. Is that lukewarm milk? Yep, been sitting on my desk all day, and uh, I did put two gallons in here. <laughs> I did. I can't really translate gallons to ounces. Yeah, so no, I, I was gonna say that works, not... but I poured. Nope. Well, I you know, there's a lot of it on my desk. Let's just say, let's just say, a lot of that milk is no longer in the Nalgene, and uh, I'm swimming in it. 
Uh, it's mm. a puddle. Um, oh, that sound is just uh, that's just me turning off my phone, not taking pictures, folks. That's uh, that's just that clicking noise you heard. Now, now, hang my, on. When I checked, when I checked Milkman Magazine this mm-hmm. month. I, there were some shirtless photos that looked a lot like me. And now that I think about it, the whole center spread was just me chugging a gallon of milk. You haven't been, you haven't been sending those to Milkman, have you? So, if uh, if you know the the idea of getting bonus episodes of my ultimate year access to our spreadsheet aren't enticing enough, I will say that genuinely, <laughs> at one point in our Slack channel, when this whole milk debacle happened, Dave. Did show up and sh- well, which we we need a refresher probably on the milk debacle. I would say, no, it's right. Fine. We could have we could have new listeners. We're Dave trying to did lose. post photos of himself shirtless, drinking out of a drinking straight of the gallon of milk, sniffing a milk bottle sensuously and taking a, a long hearty sip out of it. So Zach claims it's weird to drink just milk. I disagree. Is as an adult, no, as an adult, as an adult, of that very normal. <laughs> oh, thanks for the clarification. Well, no, yeah, no, kids, kids can drink glasses of milk. Teens, teens need to grow those bones. But once you're Zach like twenty one, babies should drink water. Can you guys believe this? No, you're you're twisting my words to be something you're not. But if you're twenty one and drinking your milk, you're a you're a sex fiend. You're a sex criminal. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not going out on your twenty first birthday and ordering a nice warm milk, I don't know what you're doing. You don't know uh, how to party. No joke, I love the amount of people who have, like, sent me photos in the Slack of, like, themselves enjoying a glass of milk just to be like, hey, <laughs> take this, Zach. <laughs> it's happened yeah. more than once. Yeah. Um, okay, so, Amazing. yes, he, he's wearing the costume. It's a black costume. And I think it's mostly because probably people loved it and it looks cool. And, you know. It looks awesome. I, yeah, it's, I would say it's good. good. I mean, is, is this the upgrade to a like, established costume that works? Like, there are other, like, incremental, you know, Captain America's suit slowly becomes more scaly, like... And Wolverine hasn't gone brown yet, right? Yeah, right. But, like, those are small incremental like changes. like that one. This is, like... That's a color absolute, change, though. Like, yeah. shift. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, this is, like, a huge I shift. Think, I think that's a good call. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm struggling to think of any that are better, because I feel like most of Iron Man's armor changes kind of suck. And, um, and also they degree. feel like, you know, small tweaks. Like, all right, this looks a little more aligned with, like, today's tech. But it's still, like... Yeah, until he walks out in, like, a silver and red. Right, yeah. But that's still, like, that, that's just a, like a palette change, almost. You know, if you switch that to gold and red, yeah, it would look pretty Yeah, my taste ready. changed. Negatively. <laughs> oh! Got him. <laughs> you, you got him. All right, got so him. 107 to 110. Let's talk about the actual structure of this, because I think we should establish, like, the boundaries for this conversation. Okay. It is framed around a criminal called the Sin Eater. Yeah. He is a non-superpowered guy, just like in a mask, like he's wearing a purple mask. He's going around killing innocent people. He's starting out with Gene DeWolf, the um, New York uh, NYPD police captain, I think, that has been like yeah, kind she's of a captain. A, and, she's, a and she's had a ally with Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah. Like they've been developing a relationship, um, not romantically but just like as an ally uh yeah. in their in like spider-man's uneasy. ongoing yeah. fighting which, okay. which like right which historically you know spider-man is it often like the like the police pretty famously are trying to arrest him throughout a lot of the silver age you know because of his bad reputation and you kind of get the that, editorials uh, J. Jonah jameson's writing and it's like a mix like maybe the police have his arrest warrant but like individual police are like no, no, don't shoot at him. He's he's probably a pretty good guy. Seems all right to me. Yeah. You know, like, you, you kind of get the idea that, like, cops are just as mixed on Spider-Man as anyone else. Um, But, sure. yeah, jo- Gene DeWolf has always been kind of an on-off ally. Um, Like a, what's the word? 
kind of a uh, yeah uneasy ally i guess um mm-hmm. this opens up with like the t- the story of her life and kind of like her rise to becoming a cop and her motivation for that and then like mm-hmm. immediately cuts to like her body in her apartment like it's pretty gruesome um <laughs> cut to well, and we don't we don't really see we ha- I should say we haven't really seen a lot of this in comics to this point i mean it's definitely an indication of where we are in the comics publishing landscape, right? Like we, this is published the first issue, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, uh, one Oh seven is published in October, 1985 mm-hmm. and 1986, pretty famously the year of comics like Watchmen or the dark Knight returns. Right. And this mm-hmm. sort of signal of movements towards quote unquote maturity, but certainly towards, um, what people would now call grim and gritty or mm-hmm. right. These yeah. like, you know, just grisly, um, violence in a lot of ways. So like seeing a, even supporting character, uh, splain out killed this way. Not that we haven't seen characters die um, or seen violence in Marvel comics to date, but it's definitely more than I think you would have seen in different eras of comics. I, I think it's, it's a pretty clear indicator of like, Hey, we're telling a real serious story here. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I oh, don't it, think it, that's it, not the, they know what they're doing. But yeah, that. for sure. I mean, we, I think the biggest um, thing that we've seen is like, this is cloak and dagger from 1983. A lot of a lot of yeah. the same issues I've got with this that I have with that. Like it is very much two peas in the pod. Um, I feel like I'm going to be angry about this for a lot of the 80s and 90s. I think this has got to be a re- reoccurring um, reoccurring theme in comic books, just because it's like also kind of on the news and on everyone's mind. You know, like the the idea of just like the violent super criminal, the hyper predator or super predator or whatever thing. Anyway. All right. So sin eater is going around. He's killing, he kills Gene DeWolf. He kills a seemingly like liberal bleeding heart judge, right? Um, he kills a priest and then he goes to kill J Jonah Jameson. And the yeah. idea is that like, he is after people who are supposed to be like arbiters of punishment and justice, but are not harsh enough right like the idea is like he's out there killing the police who don't go far enough in their punishment he the the judge lets people off too easily and like does not like crack the hammer down um it's kind of like a reverse punisher uh yeah right i get i mean it would be like if punisher instead of just killing criminals killed the people who he thought were enabling criminals within the system yes by not being tough enough on the criminals the thing is i think this is incredibly confused i think it feels like it might be discussing ideas of like justice and versus revenge and stuff like that but like uh, i would have a like i just read this i had a really hard time parsing out what is actually saying here it feels like it's wrapping itself in all these themes without having any kind of clear cohesive idea i mean i don't think i don't think at any point we are meant to feel much sympathy or um agreement with the sin eater you know, so in terms of like, are these, well, what if these are just killings because these, these people are letting people off? Like, I never thought the comic was going for that. I certainly never felt that way. No, but I mean, um, I, I do think the comic is suggesting that like, I, if anything, it is trying to frame things as the criminal justice system needs to just be believed in. And like, of course, there are problems, but like, you need to have faith in the system. And that is like so. The the, the important way it this. does that, like, yeah, I, I think you're right. The important way it does that is it brings in Daredevil as yeah. a major, major supporting character in this. Yeah, yeah. And he's initially so the the framing that brings Daredevil and Spider-Man together in this comic is when Spider-Man is out walking 
with uh, Aunt May's boyfriend. Um, what do we call uh, him? I think I think he's just what a tenant he at, this point? at this point. I don't, I just don't a, think he's just a, a tenant. Oh, harsh. Got tenant zoned. <laughs> um, he's out. <laughs> he's out walking with Ernie, and uh, Ernie literally. This this is so cloak and dagger eighty three. They're oh, walking yeah. together, and he's a step behind Peter, and Ernie gets pulled into an alleyway. Like a like by a hook in a vaudeville play by three <laughs> hooligans, right? And yeah. uh, you know they beat him up and take his wallet or something before Spider Man can swing in there. And Peter like somehow doesn't realize this is happening, right? So he gets mugged, and then these guys are on trial because of course Spider Man caught him. Wait, wait, and no. Murdoch the, represents the thing them. is, we really got to underline, okay? Because there's there's a we've seen a million muggings, we've seen a bunch of bank robberies, etc. Broad daylight, right? <laughs> we've seen all too. this stuff. Um, can, can you give me just a second? Because I, I actually have to pull this up. It's too good. And like how... Never mind. It's not going to work. The These guys are well, it's just... Almost, it's almost comical. It's almost like it's meant to be comical. It, it, well, the it's thing not. is, it, it is leaning into the same thing of Cloak and Dagger where it's just like, you know what? These guys aren't robbing him because they're poor. They're not robbing him because, you know, like whatever. There, there's no... Well, they are wearing chains as belts, which right. is either a style choice or they couldn't get a belt, Zach. I mean, and the thing is, like, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like a parody of myself where I'm saying, like, oh, well, you know, like, every mugger in New York City needs to be, like, empathized with as a full creation. And, you know, we need to really get into, like, the socioeconomic issues behind, like, the mugger before Peter Parker can stop them, right? Like, I don't... It's not, it's not expected or trying to do it. I mean, I appreciate when they do stuff like that. I appreciate when Captain America... Like can sure. you know show empathy and that is part of the comic. I like that, but I'm not saying that like you know he can't stop a bank robbery or a mugging without this. But these guys, the thing is that he frames them, and this is just something we're gonna see over and over again, again as just like they're the most bloodthirsty psychopaths who are doing this just because. Like, right, man. Like be, he he literally says just like man, I love it when the old ones grunt. That the sound of their grunting really does it for me. Like when I you know like punch an old man in the guts like they're literally just like cackling with each other about like how much fun it is to beat up old men and just like I and love this, to listen and to this fiery this fiery redhead he punches <laughs> yes. this old man in the gut and then drives his face into cement and i think to your point it's the implication that like yeah guys like this they're in every alleyway just mm-hmm. waiting for you yeah you know it's like which is a fictional the, universe it's but it's but it's 80s, definitely got you know? that tenor um, of like this is everywhere, which crime exists. We know. Um, not like no, not pretending it doesn't. Yeah, and this, but this is not like is, the old man's not, not a victim or anything. But you know, like you can tell these stories, and you know what? Like you can even tell stories with like, you know, people who are deranged, and you know, like it goes beyond the pat Paul goes beyond the Paul of like you know sure. just you know like there is a economic need for their uh you know robbing somebody um here just a second i actually did find the the phrasings do you hear the old man grunt huh i love when the old ones grunt yeah i don't know it's like kissing your sister don't mean nothing if it's so easy (laughs) like just like that wasn't fun because it wasn't like difficult to beat up that old man like oh my god anyway it's just that that idea of like you know it it removes you know what the thing is I mean, the thing that really bothers me is it absolutely depoliticizes crime, right? It turns crime into this apolitical thing that, like, exists in a vacuum and is just through the lens of, like, these things just happen because there's evil people out there, right? There's no cause for it. 
and they're just evil, right? And like, I, I just think it's really underlining that, right? Because you can you can make inferences about comics, right? That they're not all dealing with these things, but like this is pointing it, and it's like putting a big neon sign saying like. This is what we're saying. We're saying that, like, there's just pure evil out there when it comes to, you know, poor people robbing. And it gets into this with, like, the ideas of, like, well, they're, you know, well, liberal, like, bleeding heart judges are going to let them off the case because they're, you know, they deserve justice just like anybody. Or, you know, he's mentally ill because the the, the, the sin eater is mentally ill because he was literally shot up with PCP. <laughs> <laughs> and experimented yeah. on um yeah so like i guess he's just gonna get a year in a mental institute and be free to walk like you know the the system that's not... a big that's a big 80s hang up if we were doing my dc year like yeah. that's every batman comic is oh, over and sure. over trying to grapple with the the, the, the bleeding heart part. judge yeah well and i mean that's you know dark knight returns joker getting out of arkham asylum right that's a huge part of it so all right so all of all of what you're saying i think is is totally fair and true, I think the one of the weirdest parts for me is Matt Murdock's representing these boys who beat mm-hmm. up this guy. And it's like, so they go to the trial, Peter's sitting there with Ernie, um, and the boys don't get convicted of anything. It's weird to me that Matt Murdock, super-powered lawyer, is like, because there's a sense of him, like, he'll, you know, he's a defense lawyer, right? Like, he will defend the innocent. But we know these kids aren't innocent. Like, they did commit this crime, right? So is there something I'm missing there in terms of why... Matt Murdock should be defending them and feeling good about that? I mean, he doesn't. It talks about it like <sighs> he believes in the system, right? And that means that they deserve the best defense possible. But he does talk about, like, I feel like, you know, the most disgusting man alive for, like, having defended this. Like, I'm defending evil. And, like, it makes me yeah. doubt my job every day. That kind of thing. And it's like, I, I don't know. The thing is, like, I don't know what this is trying to say except, like, <sighs> I don't know. I, it's, it's all very frustrating. Mix in with that. The whole idea that, like, there's this um, preacher, this black preacher from Atlanta who's, like, around here commenting. He's, like, a media figure. That uh, is he, like, a Jesse Jackson type? Was Jesse Jackson? Uh, uh, definitely, like, a Jesse Jackson or, like, an Al Sharpton, I thought. Al Sharpton, the that's examples That really of, yeah. stood out to me. Um, yep. It's it, it's that it, thing of, like... absolutely the race-baiting media figure where, like... Yes. This isn't real. Like, racial bias and, like, racial discrimination isn't real. It's only being fluffed up in your head by people who are taking advantage of it for, you know, like, the media circus, right? They're all just race-baiting you into thinking this is black versus white versus white when it's really just, like, evil versus good, you know? And the, and then, the example here is quite bad. Oh, <laughs> there's several examples that are objectively, quite bad. Objectively, no, no, but the, the first thing is, like, he says, um, you know, I or J. Jonah Jameson says, oh, I recognize you from the Atlanta murders, which if you watch Mindhunter season two or just already know the, the history, um, it's a real thing, right? Down in Atlanta, these oh, child murders that, that mm-hmm. are still. Oh, do you not? Okay, so no, Mindhunter season this. two covers this. Um, there's like a lot of podcasts that got into it because of, you know, how did, the, how did he know about the, the wave Netflix of crime show? drama? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, there were all these kids that went missing, uh, black, black, black children specifically, um, and they convicted someone of this but there's a lot of debate around whether they truly convicted the killers whether it was kind of just they needed to get a guy at a certain point right Mm -hmm. um so it's it's well worth exploring the story um but yeah yeah so it's it's but it is a a quote-unquote a black story um so jay jonah jameson says i recognize you from that the the new reverend says um oh i'm surprised you know anything about that and which you know, is true. Like which is kind of an asshole thing to say. To be fair, it like, is. He does say like it's, it's oh, confrontational. I'm surprised that a white man would care about the slaying of young black children. And it's like, well, I mean, 
he's an I don't know like J. Jonah Jameson has not shown himself to be a racist um newspaper man right that's not like no but he's pretty outwardly well yeah okay yeah Um, and then then he responds why reverend are you a racist and the reason that that feels so wrong right now is it is it is a common thing right now i think and and has been for a long time that black people in america um experience racism and a lot of white people have decided oh if blacks say something about not liking white people that's racist in the inverse right that is reverse racism or whatever mm-hmm. the yeah, the catchphrases are uh-huh. i think the reality is and maybe this is more controversial than i mean it to be white people don't experience racism that's yeah, not sure. a thing i think right? you know like, I, I think the the important distinction that needs to get made there and we can we don't need to get into this in a deep way but like the important thing we, we've been actually kind of talking about this in the slack a little bit um is you know like of course a white person can experience an attack based on their race right but functionally structurally there is nothing yeah. in place that discriminates really against white people you know like that i mean same way that like in general right i'm sure there are like you can find like well here here like i found i found the exception right i found this one exception where you know like yeah, sure it, you know but if you're the person who's just like you know in this haystack i found the needle of an exception like you are you know that's the wrong argument to be making but yes generally that's the point right like i can get called a cracker that doesn't really hurt and i'm not gonna lose a job and i can't like you know what like there are no structural things that can attack me right from a minority group uh and that's the idea here like that's very frustrating and it is also just that idea of like it's completely unsurprising i I mean let's be like too like holding peter david to that level of understanding and in awareness in 1985 mm-hmm. is what we were going to do because that's how we talk about these comics. Sure. Um, but it's also completely unsurprising that he would not. <laughs> Maybe that's something he would write differently now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, and you know what? Like I, I looked him up a little bit. I was curious about him, you know, like politically and stuff. Um, I couldn't find much about this topic. Weirdly, not weirdly, because comic criticism is often very surface level uh, when like examining the classics. See my hot takedown of Walt Simonson's Thor. Um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna put these things together so uh it's it's the same thing this is the same I, thing. I, was... I think the the big takeaway from this character is it's it's an inclusion of a character as kind of a caricature of the like you said race baiting celebrity personality yeah. almost yep, which yep, is yep. definitely like a a character that i i can like think of examples i feel like al sharpton was used as this i don't really know anything about and jesse jackson's probably the most well-known one mm. i don't know a lot about their lives but i know a lot how they've been portrayed in media and talked about yes, culture right for in sure. places that i was right as well, so i don't I mean, know a lot I, about what they actually tried to do but i know the stories the narratives around i mean i'm literally seeing the kind exact of, same criticisms now of just like anyone who's trying to turn this into a black versus white thing is fooling you and you're following them as sheeple like if you think that this is about race and not just about bad cops right like it, it okay. is it's still playing that exact same message today like these are facebook comments i'm seeing today sure not yeah you know it's doing that same thing where it's just like you know they're misleading you and they're just trying to stoke your you know natural inclinations to divide by race when really we just you know need to all hold hands and come together and you know ignore the uh what is kind of obvious in front of our face the yeah, he, there's a couple nasty. I mean, the other one is that a cop literally just like says, uh, "Do you think the the sin eater takes requests?" 
<laughs> while he's looking at um, this guy. Turns out that well, guy is the senior. The irony so, of that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So may- maybe is that. So that's uh, the big reveal at the end of this, which yeah. I actually did find a little subversive. Um, certainly, the first time I read it is so. There's Gene DeWolf, Captain Gene DeWolf, is murdered. First mm-hmm. character murdered by the Sin Eater. The Sin Eater then goes on violent rampages, including like after killing the judge, straight running through a crowd, being chased by Spider-Man and Daredevil, and you know firing bullets. Right. So it's got this um, kind of the terror of that is obviously all too familiar. So mm-hmm. yeah, toward at the end of things, when the character is finally caught. Uh, it is revealed that the Sin Eater is um, this new police officer, this detective that Spider-Man was getting close to again. So, like, in the in the interest of capturing Gene DeWolf's uh, killer, he was working with the detective who was on the case. They were getting close. He was starting to trust him. And then it's revealed that this detective is actually the killer, right, is the mm-hmm. um, Sin Eater. So yeah. I do think, David, I don't know how intentional this is or not, um, but it definitely like having it be a police officer is pretty subversive for again just sort of that cultural um hero worship that Mm -hmm. comes with the territory of of you know the types of professions that we just i let me speak for myself that i have grown up uh viewing as heroes right anybody in the military police firemen right all these professions now doctors certainly with with covid um, these are professions that just culturally, it's like, oh, these are our heroes in society. These are the hardworking people protecting us. Is the cultural viewpoint that I was was brought up in, right? And he turns it on its head and makes it, again, in comics especially, like this is not something that is done often. If corrupt cops all the time and nowadays with Batman and this and that, right? Like that's mm-hmm. all the time. Um, but he makes it by making the killer a police officer. It is like, oh, that's who can you trust, right? If the people who are supposed to be protecting you are killing people who can you trust? And obviously that is a line that, that applies very much to our current situation as well. Yeah. I, I think, I think I have a hard time. You, you know what? We, uh, we just, we were, we're fearscape has been on the mind lately, right? Like you just interviewed Ryan O'Sullivan. Um, I just read through this little mini series and without getting into any of the plot of this comic book whatsoever, um, there's there's something at the beginning where the comic it's got this kind of meta aspect where the comic the narrator is talking about the comic itself a little bit um and it like it bothers me because the uh the narrator is like such a monster <laughs> he's so awful but uh mm-hmm. like he says some stuff that i just like genuinely agree with which is he's talking about the nine panels you know the the nine panel format that watchman popularized whatever yeah. and he talks about um just a second it is not the grid that is significant but rather that it reminds us of the significance we confuse the sign for the very thing it is pointing towards which Mm -hmm. is like oh man is that like comic books in this era right like i feel like Mm -hmm. this we've talked about this a few times i think claremont does this on occasion um he's not the worst offender i'm trying to think of other examples but where this like i feel like it is wrapping itself in like ripped from the headlines but like ultimately i don't think this has anything to say Really, like if it is mm. and if it does have something to say, like it's confused, right? Because even if this was just offensive, which I think it kind of is. It's also offensive and kind of incoherent. And I think part of that is it's just kind of wrapping itself and suggest pointing towards things of significance without actually being those things. Because at the end of this, so after all this is said and done and we can talk a little bit about Spider-Man versus Daredevil, their reactions, we get um, Aunt May's tenant uh, and he is terrified because of the way that... Um, He's been, like, beaten by these criminals. Right. And he gets a gun, and he, like, arms himself, and he goes on the subway to go to World Trade Center, and then these three boys come up to him and just, like, and 
approach him basically like, hey, our friend needs medical help. Maybe you can donate something to him. All the money you've got. And he immediately, <laughs> like Danny DeVito in that uh, that meme, he's like, yeah, so then I pulled out my gun and I just started blasting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he just right. like opens fire on these three kids. This, this, I mean, this is a clear connection to um, Bernard uh, Goethe's the, uh, the guy who, in 1984, shot a bunch of black kids on a subway who may or may not have been mugging him or might have just been asking him for arcade money. Um, yeah. This was, like, a huge story, national story, and especially for someone in New York City, this was, like... And this is clearly referencing that with while also getting rid of the racial dynamics of it, which is weirdly, like, sucks the actual, like, power of this story away. Because <laughs> it, it's not even... I mean, I, I do think that's... I do think that's intentional and out of... I don't know. You could say it's out of fear or out of respect, right? Yeah, I, guess. Yeah, I, don't, um, I mean, except the trying. thing that it's it, like... Because if they were, if all the muggers here were black kids, we would call them on that. Um, yeah, I guess so. so I the just, fact that they don't do it, it's, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's kind of like, well, you can't you can't have both ways. You can't call them <laughs> on that and say, well, it's not as it's not as pointedly connected because you didn't make the racial stereotype, right? Yeah, yeah, because I guess, again, I would still be like, well, I don't know what you're saying with this, because I don't know what he's saying with this either, except maybe, like, violence begets violence, but that does not seem to be the point of this comic, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. So the other thing is, like, Spider-Man and Daredevil seem to be weirdly flipped here, where Spider-Man is the, like, out-of-control one, and this is something I actually really like with Daredevil. I kind of love Daredevil. The, the push-pull tension of Daredevil as Matt Murdock having this, like, rock-solid belief in the legal system and yeah. Daredevil being the one who crosses the line and, like, in a bad way, right? In a way that, like, you could... We look at him and you flinch. The violent and you vigilante, kind of, yeah. You cringe at the way that he is that violent. He's the one who's, like, scolding Spider-Man here for, you know, like, not letting the system take its, you know... It's definitely a lot of hypocrisy from Daredevil. It feels out that. of character for him, yeah. Because um, I, I like it that It is a necessary... Yeah. Well, I do sort of like the matt as a kind of almost condescending older brother mm-hmm. to peter that they yeah, develop sure, so they sure, they learn yeah. each other's secret identities in these comics i like right? i like, like that these, i mean that's big moments for them always fun yeah yeah definitely um but matt's definitely talking down to spider-man throughout a lot of this who spider-man is peter parker is definitely letting like he's mad he is angry um he's seen a a developing friend die his new apparent friend has turned out to be the killer he wants this mob that gets a hold of him at the very end of this to just kill mm-hmm. the guy yeah he straight up turns his back um if it feels like us oh, peter wouldn't do that like that's kind of the point is like he's mad and beaten to the point that he would and it's only because matt murdoch has been pushing him and specifically then goes in to save um the sin eater and needs help himself and yells out peter <laughs> in front of a crowd, mind you, mm-hmm. that uh, Spider-Man swings in and actually helps prevent both of them from being, you know, beaten by this mob. Um, I, I think that part of it is pretty effective uh, in allowing allowing Peter that emotional response, ultimately doing the right thing, that thing that is so hard that I talk about a lot of a thing that I love that in comics of, you know, pulling the villains from the ashes, right? Mm-hmm. Of Of even though... Even though Norman Osborn has ruined his life over and over, has tried to kill him over and over, he pulls him out of the fire. You yeah, know, that thing. You know, he does that here with the Sin Eater, but it takes some persuading. Um, and I think that's that is a degree of development that I do appreciate. Yeah, and uh, you know, I should call out. I think Peter David's like a good writer. I mean, I I feel like this is a. I mean, generally, I think trying to find a cogent like what is it actually saying piece of it is where you and I are like 
hemming and hawing and stumbling because it yeah. connects to all these bigger things. But if you actually are able to be like, just as a comic story, it's good writing of Daredevil. It's good writing of Spider-Man. Um, Rich Buckler's art is very good throughout. It's, and it's that it's, thing I've said. It, you know, it's just, yeah. it's trying to, it, I think it's exactly what you said. It's trying to pull, hey, what if we did this story but really rip from the headlines everywhere we can? And mm-hmm. that piece of it's like, well, if you're going to do that, then I have to make those connections. And if I'm making those connections, I get lost I'm because starting, I don't actually know I'm what you're doing. And I'm starting to actually like, hey, what are the politics of this? Because you want me to think about this and like oh right oh they make me very uncomfortable I, and like i keep coming back to this uh, weird phrase that i never would have thought i'd be saying on the show where it's like hey maybe why don't you just leave the politics out of this <laughs> you know which is like i mean <laughs> and I, i'm not saying it quite in the same way but it's like as you know that that usually gets tossed around which basically just means like i don't i don't want to see a girl in my thing that is boys uh but you know it's that idea of like <sighs> If you're playing in a realm that is going to, like, point to these things, you have to be, like, I don't know. You have to take it a little more seriously, I think. Uh, well, and maybe he, maybe he You don't have just, to, but I think at the end of the day, then well, that yeah, of course. it you don't means the story doesn't hit the heights that it's striving for. Yeah. You know? And Agreed. I think that's what separates the writers who do do this stuff. And, again, like, we are going to see do this stuff and do mm-hmm. it well. Yeah. It's what makes those exceptional. Um, whereas this instance is this is a – it's a memorable story it's something that people reference as you know it's it's in the canon of spider-man stories the death it's of like Dean a Wolf, classic which is right? surprising to me i mean e- even outside of being like a little grossed out uh politically by this i also am just like this is just kind of like an okay spider-man story that feels a little uh like incoherent by the end of it. i think it's, it's more memorable than it is good yeah sure i, I mean it, it does have definitely some, that some big moments i mean the it's got that moment where uh the sin eater like supposedly shoots um Betty leads like and blasts her with a shotgun, which is like clearly yeah. like obviously not. I mean, maybe this is just twenty twenty eyes. Like you see that and you're like, well, clearly he didn't just blow her away. Like we know how that's gonna. It would have been a but, big old shock if he had. Yeah, yeah. I read stuff where he was like really nervous about putting that in there because he was just like, yeah, mothers are gonna buy this for their children and then be like, oh, wait, excuse me. <laughs> but, uh, this he was worried about violent. that, but he wasn't worried about opening with the uh, the splayed body of a female police officer oh let's just talk about how like the the whiplash of the opening scene of this is like gene DeWolf. she's a, a woman coming up in a man's world oh, yeah and like which is fine like all that's okay you know it's just like the way that she strove to the top and then it you know it cuts to her murder hard cut to peter parker you were looking through his his viewfinder on his camera uh. as he is snapping candid photographs of a woman like rollerblading around new york city like and not our una- not our the type of candids we were talking about earlier right? unaware unaware yeah right unaware that yeah i guess that um, hopefully people didn't think i was referencing this um yeah unaware that like he is taking pictures of her and he's just like yeah the daily bugle used some shots of this beautiful woman if not i'll just have something to decorate my dark room with <laughs> it's uh it's cold this out but she's barely time. wearing anything yeah, this is the second time in recent days or in recent reads that we've seen Peter Parker, colon, Horndog. And uh, the other time was when he was just, like, watching Monica Rambeau across the airport or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's just like, it's who's this that weird trend of him just being, like, <laughs> yeah, like, very this publicly horny. This is normal horny man behavior. And, uh, and taking pictures. Um, it's a, it's an definitely, it's a definitely a strange look for peter i guess I, I yeah i mean I they're, they're definitely not doing anything like with it it's just supposed to be like peter parker's having the job your young man enjoying his you know 
his salad days of being a photographer. Like, well, and it's not uh, even this thing where I'm gonna like sit here and demonize the the thing. But you're right; it cause, is a because you love storytelling whiplash, take candid shots of women rollerblading. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Is that what you're si- you were gonna Zach, say? Your silence on issues of taking candids of women rollerblading has been deafening <laughs> this entire <laughs> podcast recording since we started in 1961. Um, okay. So I mean, I think I think the death of Gene DeWolf is is certainly a, a I don't know if I'd say a recommended read, but I'd say it's well worth reading, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, You know what? Like, I didn't find it. I wouldn't be like, like here's a great Spider-Man story. But I'd be like, no, yeah, if you're following along not. the club, I like, mean, you should read this one because it's kind of important. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I, I don't think, I was not quite as repelled by it as I was Cloak and Dagger. Um, but close. <laughs> I don't, close. yeah, I didn't find it, I don't know, I didn't find it. Like I mean, th- this didn't have so much as just like it really in, wants like, to make you think about all these things. This didn't have all and, those racial politics baked into it that were just so bad with Cloak and Dagger, in my opinion. Well, so. and we talked a lot about race as it's used for that supporting character, but like that's a very small piece of this story. Frankly, it's a oh, very yeah. Yeah, yeah. odd inclusion at all. Like it's just, yeah, it really not has nothing to do with the this point of the story. Like, tensions are high because of this guy. Yeah, the same year. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's pivot into something fun. I gotta say. Dave, John yeah. Byrne's Fantastic Four, I think with this run, really solidified it as, like, top tier. Like, I'm going to put this in the pantheon of my favorite stuff we're reading in Marvel. Like, and it has just gotten sure. better and better and better. And I am really loving this. Like, in the Fantastic Four, John Byrne's run of Fantastic Four. Um, I think, like, this is starting to get up there with, like, Daredevil, the best of Claremont's X-Men. Which, to be clear, the best of Claremont's X-Men is it, the Dark Phoenix saga. You know what? I think it's just consistent. It's that fun for me. It might not be as important yeah. or anything, but like for me at least, um, yeah, it's like S tier. I'm glad you're me. enjoying it. I mean, yeah. I think like it's actually Dark Phoenix Saga is a good comp because, well, first off, like Burn gets credit for that too. <laughs> he was oh, he yeah. was there for that too. Um, but at 280 and 281, Fantastic Four uh, are kind of his weird little Dark Phoenix Saga in his own way. Oh sure. You know, you know what? And it's not. I, a t- I take it back because those weren't that great. Those were only okay. Um, <laughs> but 275 through 277 were, like, excellent, like, top tier for me. And I just, like, I've just been really enjoying this run. And it's, like, just everything I want from the Fantastic Four. Um, plus stuff Paparazzi, I would not expect. So Naked Candids. Yes, God. I, so 275 I thought was a ton of fun. Um, I had yeah. a lot of fun with this one. It starts out with She-Hulk is sunbathing on the roof, uh, you know, and she's like laying there in a bikini, you know, it's like untied in the back and she's like bathing, sunbathing her back and a helicopter flies up and it's just like, there she is, get some, uh, get some shots of her. And, and it's like some creepy magazine men. And she, you know, like struggles to get dressed before they take these pictures and then goes on this like really fun chase with them with like Wyatt Wingfoot buzzing behind on a uh, little fantastic car thing. Yeah. Um, and she like jumps onto the helicopter and is like ripping parts off of it as they're trying to escape. And it's just like real fun, goofy stuff. Um, like She-Hulk is just a really good character. I really like spending time with her. And I think John Byrne has a really good voice for her. Um, mm-hmm. She's just like immediately just a very endearing character. Like she, you feel the, the fact that she like just really wants to do her best on this team and prove herself. And that all comes through in a really natural way that doesn't feel too, uh, melodramatic like sometimes you get that with these superheroes and it just feels too like um what's the word like 
overwrought, kind of like nomad or someone who's just like, I've got the expectations of Bucky on my shoulders, and I and he's like looking off into the sunset and like I never know how I'll, I'll live up to this in Captain America's eyes, that kind of thing. And she's not that. Yeah. Like she's just always just like, you know, this is you know a world class team of superheroes, and I just need to to make my my space my way here. Um, I think the other strong thing about two seventy five is it establishes that. It's really fun to spend an issue with basically just She-Hulk. Like yeah, that's yeah. a good story, and it, this is fantastic for you know what I mean. Like we don't, we barely even have to to deal with the other characters, um, you know, in uh, in the main story, in the core story, um, and it, and it's perfectly enjoyable. I do think too, like there's a this comic seems you know it's a it's a sleazeball magazine editor mm-hmm. taking uh, tabloid photos of a topless She-Hulk. For his magazine, The Naked Truth. Yeah, you it think, be, it but then you get to see is, Jen. Yeah. What's that? It, yeah, it sounds sleazier than it is. True. It sounds like well. You're... I mean, it's literally dealing with a sleazy magazine editor, and then but then you get Jen actually just like dealing with that on her own terms, being strong, being funny throughout it, and it's it's a lot more fun than you probably expect. It's this done to with be like handled. a really light touch and like, and God, yeah, yeah. It's just it's very weird to be praising John Byrne for like. Well, he's yeah. he's definitely going to get more into, and maybe you could argue he already has, but more into the cheesecake elements of She-Hulk. Like, definitely within his solo run. Which, even you know, even he we'll does a little bit there. of that, but it does not feel really... The art here doesn't do that too hard. For an, no, for it doesn't, and it doesn't really do that. It's centered around a, a topless photo. Like, it's not actually a really a Right, which I think, like, a lesser, a lesser comic would be like, yeah, it's gross and bad that, you know, these guys took this photo of her, but at the same time, you're going to get a look. You know, like... It yeah, wants to right. have it ca- have its cake and eat its too. It really doesn't do that. But I think like She Hulk is kind of written as like a sexy sexual woman without it being like way too like it just feels like a natural part of her, right? It feels like just kind of built into the character. Well, it's, it's part of what Jen Walters likes about being She Hulk, right? Too. Yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. um I think that's interesting, right? I think yeah, that's it's very like, strange. Good. And I mean, she you should know, enjoy that. We're gonna read some. Uh, he's gonna write a She Hulk series starting in like eighty nine or something. So maybe we'll have to eat our words then. But uh, so far, what I've seen of it is that, like, it retains this kind of playfulness. Um, we'll see. I'm, I will I'm say curious. that T.J. Vance, the the publisher here who publishes The Naked like... Truth, who ultimately gets his comeuppance, right? She-Hulk, uh, you know, balls up his vault of money and drops it, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, the photos come out bad because the the editor of the magazine <laughs> or whatever decided that they must not have... They must not actually supposed to have been green, so he changed. Yeah, they the didn't realize that. that it was of the Hulk, and they were just like, "Yeah, right." That's a really funny detail. I love, I love this ending because Johnny Storm shows, and he's just like, "Hey, look! Like the photos are here, but no one knows it's She Hulk because, uh, you know, they color corrected it to be like pale skin." Uh, yeah. And Johnny Storm is just like, "All right, uh, I'm gonna take this magazine back because I, uh, I just got some green tinted sunglasses. I'll, uh, I'll see you later." <laughs> just a really <laughs> yeah. good joke. Um, yeah. Yeah. What was uh, I gonna say? You, oh, publisher oh, TJ Vance, Vance uh, yeah. looks a lot like Stan Lee. Yes, like a lot. he really, really does. I this made and me think. I like, looked this up and I couldn't find anything about, about, the two like, of them. Like, about like what was going on there because it's not like Stan's like. I, I have no idea if there's like Stan Lee John Byrne beef or something. So if you have any, uh, <laughs> I mean, any at, details at there, this point, please let me know. In my recollection of reading that book, the Marvel: The Untold Story, um, uh, I think Stan Lee was like very. I don't think he was connected at all really to, like, the editorial process of Marvel Comics. He was kind of just the figurehead. 
and he was just like trying to to do business deals and stuff. So, uh, I mean, oh yeah, maybe. no, totally. But I, d- I don't know, like, so right. So he's yeah. fairly disconnected. Yeah, he... It's still Stanley presents. He's still doing his Stan soapbox. Yeah. Um. So I don't know why be... Byrne would be taking shots here. <laughs> if I that's mean, it, what it is, it, it might be... might be a coincidence. Playful, maybe. I don't know. Um. Okay. So the other the other big thing. Let's see. Uh, we read this. We read two seventy six and two seventy seven. Um. Mm-hmm. That. It's about two stories. One is the the storms. No, not the storms. The Richards. Um, going. They're the living. In, they're what? You mean the Benjamins? The Benjamins. Yes. God, I love the fact that so they're they're living under assumed names in Connecticut, and it's like they're you know Sue Benjamin, Reed Benjamin, Franklin Benjamin, and they have a party, and they're trying to like blend in. Sue wears a wig. Reed Richards like changes his face with his stretchy powers to look a little different. Um, yeah. Which actually I which, thought was John Burns. Spy just, Reed should be happening more. You know, yeah, where you can I, just take yeah. uh, different shapes, almost I, like Mystique, but like, but not Mystique style. You know, where it's just like, oh, it's Reed with a weird chin. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, because I thought stuff. John Bird was just drawing Reed a little weird, and then yeah. he changed his face, and I was like, oh no, it's intentional because it just kind of looked like off-brand Reed, like right. store-brand Reed. Um, Which but, store brand Reed? It's just it's just as good. It's yeah. No, I mean generic good. generic Reed is Reed. you know you're just overpaying. Don't if you're pay paying the extra name three dollars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he um. I love the idea that they have this party and someone at the party is like, oh, it's very odd that the three of you share the name of the, you know, the founding members of the Fantastic Four. Do you ever realize that? That they have a Reed, a Sue, and a Franklin as well? Uh, ha, 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 ha. Oh, no, never thought of that before. And then Sue Storm, like, you know, pops an air bubble in their brain so that they uh, <laughs> stroke out immediately. Make you forget. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe she should just zap memories out of somebody's head with those. Um, so that is happening, and and there's, like, a nosy neighbor across the street who's, like, yeah. is it Three's Company that has that? There's, like, some old sitcom I'm thinking of where there was, like, a nosy neighbor and it was this old busybody woman. It's definitely playing with, sitcom, like... I Zach. Only new ones. I can't remember. <laughs> um, he's, folks, he's obsessed with young Sheldon. You can't... Well, Imagine how many young Sheldon references I need to clip out. He's always going bazooka, and I have to. I always have to edit those out of the show. Yeah, it, um, it is. I mean, there's. I mean, it's also embarrassing because uh, he gets get the outtakes wrong. again. It's going to be a lot of young Sheldon conversation. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, there's these busybodies next door. Or this one busybody next door who who is also narking on the uh, the family to a like an exorcist witch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just right. Really funny. Um, and this woman comes over and is like, you're demons. I'm going to attack you. You're demons. And they're like, no, we're the Fantastic Four. And she's like, let's try demons. Like, it's pretty yeah. convincing, but you're definitely <laughs> demons. I summon hell. And it, I don't really know what's going on, but it, it's fun and it works. But she's just like, yeah, well, I summon Mephisto a, hell. I know, uh, but like this woman who's like, Mephisto you're, hell. you're demons, but uh, to fight you, I'm going to summon the servants of hell. And then... It was a very, it was a very Johnny Blaze saying, "There's only, there's only one way to possibly help my friend feel better, Satan." <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> Wait, what? No, there yeah. were other options. Yeah. Um, and so it turns into the story where Mephisto gains control over the Fantastic Four, uh, including Franklin, like Reed and Sue and Franklin, and they are transported to hell. And they are being tortured in hell. It's pretty rough. Um, Sue is going mm-hmm. through some nasty stuff. The uh, the him grabbing Reed's face and stretching it out is like real nasty. Oh, always gets um, me. Always it may, gets me. it may, and I could totally see if this strikes it that way for you. It may verge on the gross side of like torture porn for Sue. There's a little bit of that for Sue. Um, 
that I could see, especially like she's getting pierced through the chest with a stalactite, and you know, her back is arched, and it like, you, you can just tell somebody like probably got off on that a little bit, like somebody out there this does it for. So I think, uh, I mean, if, let's if that's just, true, yeah, all right, <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I, please continue. Sorry, <laughs> no, fun. no, please Dave, tell me. Um, <laughs> anyway, so but I think generally Mephisto is really creepy and, uh, this really works it is it takes the very weird tact of intercutting page to page sometimes like half page by half page or strip by strip of the story of the fantastic four or of reed and sue and franklin being tortured in hell and dr strange coming to their rescue cuts back yeah. and forth with that with the things back and alicia and johnny back. johnny storm are now dating and they are together and it like oh i'm sorry did you say alicia and johnny storm Oh yeah, the the couple that definitely makes sense and that uh, we all saw coming and like when Hang you on. saw it. <laughs> I mean, you know that old screenwriting thing where it uh you know, they say like your conclusion should be like surprising or what is it like shocking but inevitable, something like that. Uh-huh. Along those yeah. words. I mean, it's just like that where you're just like, oh, "I never would have seen this, but now that it's happening, oh, of course." Because, you know, they are the only two young people, single people in New York City. Of course, they would be dating each other. And, (laughs) of course, everything we know about Alicia shows that she would be, uh, you know, into a hot rod and bad boy like Johnny Stark. That's the bigger thing. I mean, that's the thing. That's the bigger thing. Is like, what what is she she thinking here? Well, that that would make this make sense. Um, I have two thoughts on this. One, I hate it. Two... Johnny's haircut sucks. Oh, his, his haircut. haircut he's got like a Dumb and Dumber, like Jeff Daniels from Dumb, Dumb and Dumber, Dumber. haircut. <laughs> it's yeah. weird. I mean, you know what? I, I will say I am interested in the idea of like the thing was just like, yeah, I'm going to take three years off like from dating you. Uh, I'm just going to stay on an alien planet and take a couple years to myself. And then he just strolls back in. And it's just like, which, Alicia, he, which he did not I'm tell home. her. Right. Yeah. This yeah, was yeah. not a plan. He just it's not like he communicated that. I don't think. He's like, yeah, well, can't can't wait to get back to my life with Alicia. She's definitely just uh, in her apartment waiting for me. Like, I like the idea of, you know, the the thing being punished for that decision, right? Because that was probably yeah. an editorial thing. Like, we want to split the thing off into his own series. Let's keep him on Battle Sure, but you got to reconcile that when he does come back. Absolutely. Exactly. So I think that's an interesting way. But having Johnny Storm be the one... I mean, I don't know. I tried, date, I tried mowing date... the lawn for three years one time. <laughs> And when I came back inside, my wife was livid. She, I did not see it coming. She was dating Johnny <laughs> was Storm. Very it was very strange. <laughs> Who's this hothead? Get him out of here. Um, I mean, honestly, you know what would have made a million times more sense? Silver Surfer. If she was just dating Silver Surfer, yes, that would have made that a lot been more awesome, sense. Actually, that, that would have um, been great. Yes. Like they have just a history. Norin in a sweater vest, sitting on on Ben's favorite chair, reading a book of scary stories. They have that history. We already know that, like, Alicia kind of vibes with his whole, like, you know, noble hero thing. Like, Oh, she vibed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't mean that as creepy as it sounded. Yeah. Like, no, like, she really took to Norrin, and, uh, it, like, she's, Norrin's the reason, or Alicia's the reason Norrin uh, stood on Galactus. Galactus. Right, yeah. So, like, I th- I think that is the obvious choice. Um, and Johnny Storm is a weird choice, and I can't wait for this to be over. But I do I do appreciate the, like, idea of yeah. Ben Grimm having to, you know, deal with the fact that he's being selfish, whatever. It's a, it's a thing Fantastic Four will. <laughs> the, it's not like that's just going to go away, right? They're going to work that out. But, boy, oh, boy, did I hate this uh, yeah, when I came across it in 85. And I, any Alicia and Johnny stands... I want to hear from you specifically. Please <laughs> write in the Slack or mymarvelousheroesgmail.com. What do you love about everyone's favorite couple, Jalisha? No, 
Jalisha. Jalisha. <laughs> yeah. Um, what should their What should their couple name be? Alani. We'll work on it. We'll the keep human Alicia. Stasters. Morm. Mm, oh, Alicia. These work. Alicia Torch. Mm. All right. Well, well, show's over. <laughs> stop recording now because that was so bad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. So yeah, the the, Doctor Strange shows up, and you know what? This is the Doctor Strange I like. He, like we've said, he's pretty good as like a side character. Cameo not as, Strange. Not as the main guy. Also, the Defenders. I was thinking about this. I love Doctor Strange and the Defenders because he's the straight man to, you know, the Hulk and uh, and Namor yes. there. Like, he works yes. great there. But, like, Strange on his own. Just uh, not that interesting. Um, yeah, so he comes down. He saves them because he lets Franklin loose. And Franklin, like, saps all the evil out of Mephisto. Oh, because we forgot to mention... This is like a wild little bit of Marvel history, I think, which is where, where you would be like, hey, how did a Spider-Man symbiote suit get loose? And it's like Franklin comes up and is like, dink, dink, dink on the tank. <laughs> and then the symbiote <laughs> right. suit psychically like fuses with his brain and like unleashes Franklin's mutant powers, like untaps into them and like lets them loose. And then later, some random little robot shows up who's like a Fantastic Four villain, some like sentient robot. And it's just like, hey, what's this thing in a tank? And he drills a hole to study it and then the symbiote slips out it's yeah. very weird and if you're not reading fantastic four it is completely arbitrary but anyway franklin like destroys mephisto which is pretty cool and like uh it's the first time franklin's powers have been like interesting to me um yeah it's i don't know that's just kind of strange this little boy destroyed mephisto yep that he did dave has nothing to add oh to franklin with your uh, suppressed mutant powers fantastic four 280 and 281 is kind of john burns version of the hate monger it's not the hate monger, but it's like definitely that story where what's this woman's name? I'm forgetting it. Do you have it off the top of your head? Which one? The I mean the evil one, the malice? villain here. Yeah, malice. Yes. Dave did tell me he was going to get sleepy if this went too late. I think I, we started I think early. He, All right. I think he just crashed. Sorry. <laughs> I got very distracted. Oh, no, that's okay. Okay. Um. Oh, is the hate monger here? Did I miss that? I'm looking at the wiki page and it says hate monger. Yeah. No, he's in, he's in this comic. <laughs> I think I missed that. Let's transition again. Okay. All right. In Fantastic Four number 280 and mm -hmm. 281, we have mm -hmm. the Saga of Malice. Okay. Um, this is... Yeah, I compared this to Burns' attempt at Dark Phoenix Saga-ing the Fantastic Four. It is nowhere near that good. No. Uh, but no. the reason I say that will become obvious as we talk about it. In this story... There are some big, uh, very Kirby-esque ideas of the Fantastic Four return to a Baxter building that has basically vanished or been stolen at this point. I By Dr. The Doom, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, yeah, Doom steals the, or it's Doom's son, I guess it's Kristoff. Um, but steals they, it, sends they it lose space, the Baxter building. Which is really fun. Like. Yeah, Reed gets shamed by like a like a small business owner who had a shop in there, um, or <laughs> just, deli owner. What are you gonna do? He's building? like, "Well, we'll pay you for your shop," and he's like, "Well, who's gonna replace my deli slicers?" And he's like, "I, I said I'd pay for your shop." <laughs> he's he's most upset about uh, a a photo of his wife. That was apparently. I mean, that one makes copy. sense, but yeah. that one resonated a little more. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so the back building's gone. They're dealing with that. But then also, as this is happening, like the police just start bullying them, basically. Um, if you can believe it, and th then this <laughs> spreads to then this spreads to mob violence everywhere, and it becomes a very uh, mad bomb. You know, just everyone is oh. infused with extreme hate, except you know for the, the, Reed, uh, uh, Johnny, and um, who am I missing? She Hulk and Sue. The least surprising thing in the world is when uh, a bunch of cops just like start clearly 
clearly just like beating on She-Hulk for no reason, right? Like yeah. they are just running amok and just like absolutely like there's, there's nothing. She did nothing. Uh, it is the least surprising thing in the world that Reed Richards is just like She-Hulk submit, submit to the law. <laughs> we'll sort yes. this out in oh court. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I it was so it was. So, if you thought Reed was coming around, maybe being a being a little cooler, being a little less terrible than he was in oh, Silver Age. Nope, he's, <laughs> he's uh he's good old Reed <laughs> as she's getting beaten, yelling at her to submit as he is completely unimpacted. Um, okay, all of this as this is all happening, this hate is rising. They're trying to figure out why it's happening. This new character, this new supervillain, Malice appears. She beats the you know, bonkers out of She-Hulk. Mm-hmm, the um, bonkers. She, she sucks the air out of, out of Johnny Storm uh-huh. uh, as he's trying to attack her, yada, yada. And then, of course, as the as the story progresses, we realize that it's actually, this is Sue Storm. She is wearing some spiky bondage gear. Spicy. Too spiky for my tastes. But just Too spicy spiky, enough. I say. Yeah. Just spiky enough. And, like, wow. the, the, the funny thing is, like, Sue or Reed is just like Sue. This isn't like you, and she Sue is just like he. Uh, I feel like John Byrne has a moment of like really interesting meta commentary on sixties Sue and Reed, where yes. Sue Sue is like saying like, you know, enough Reed. Like you're not gonna boss me around anymore. I'm my own person. Like you can't like keep just like treating me like I'm a second class citizen on the team. Like I'm probably the most uh-huh. powerful among you. Blah blah blah. Which is like all true and like really does harken back to the. Like it's like she's yelling at Silver Age Reed specifically, but then and, Reed... and like Silver Age attitudes, frankly, right, like even yeah. broader than that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then the way that Reed deals with this is like, "Shut up, Sue! You need to be silent. This is no place for you to chime in." And he just starts like doubling down on like I, it, it. Like he so, immediately so starts the idea here that, is like, what, and I, I don't want to come out crosses defending this but just like the the in comics idea here is sue's being manipulated by the com the tag team of the um psycho man and the hate monger uh, psycho man in a malice psycho man right malice no malice is sue when she's spiky and evil i fundamentally misunderstood what was happening in this comic <laughs> genuinely absolutely yeah. was lost okay please continue yeah that's that's sue's dark phoenix okay malice. i thought that was a di- there, there was a lot of face changing happening here there was a lot mm-hmm. of people like shifting their faces and maybe i read this in a hurry uh and co- misunderstood because <laughs> i thought malice okay all right please continue yeah yeah i did like the sequence where uh that all the bad guys change names and have a and hate monger goes okay i get to be psycho man now and then psycho man goes oh oh i want to be malice and then sue was like oh i'm hate monger darn it mm-hmm. he wants to be hate monger that was that was pretty funny um but wouldn't you agree <laughs> how funny that was <laughs> go ahead just say it <laughs> just say you agree that's good um so so sue is uh, she's malice and reed has to he has to drive out her hate by making her explode with such anger and hatred towards him somebody she loves that she will be free of the influence of hate so to do this he talks to her like a big jerk like someone I mean, she he, loves would never channeling... do except it very much reflects oh Silver he Ridge absolutely Reed reverts dynamics. into that like wives are to be heard kissed and not heard like yes. reed richards yeah um uh and in the comic it works <sighs> yeah. so um i don't know 
that uh, there's really anything to take away from that other I than... I mean, he, he even, like, That's how you defeated right? the Psycho like, Man and Hate Monger in this yeah. particular instance. Yeah, I, I don't think that right? particularly works. I, I don't think it's... I did not read this as nasty. I read this as, like, an idea he had that didn't quite come off on the page, but I didn't read this as particularly, like... like I didn't think... Yeah. This, it didn't feel like, at least, like, a gross intentional misogyny. I think it was a swing and a miss, if I'm trying to be generous about it. Um, yeah, I mean, you it, could it criticize does, it that it does, way, but it, it's definitely, yeah. you can see the ideas here, which is Burns, it's, since day one, has hardcore been trying to connect to the Stan and Jack days, right? Yeah. That is, like, really the the um, the theme of his run is back to basics, right? And it's if I'm going to defend him, first issue. I will solidly defend him on the way he portrays Sue Storm. Like Sue Storm is very interesting. Sue Storm is more of a person than she's ever been. And he is the one, John Byrne is the one to be like repeatedly like Sue Storm is quickly becoming the most powerful member on the team. And that is like widely acknowledged by everybody. Like yeah. everyone talks. And about I think this. we've praised that fairly consistently. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just, I, th- it, I think you he was definitely trying called something. it out that she's getting yeah. more interesting. Yeah. I think he's trying something his here. Pen that doesn't quite work because i could even see that he's trying to subvert that like i I feel like he's aware of how nasty that like 60s stuff sounded and he's trying to play yeah i think i think too you have to give subvert it properly yes i think maybe too you have to give or at least see the idea of like you're showing you're showcasing how do you showcase that sue is the most powerful member of the team you ever beat up the whole team Mm -hmm. and i feel like there's there's an possible effort there to be like to almost empower her by virtue of showing how powerful she is mm-hmm. fighting them. Um, that said, I do deeply question the need for for Reed this dark phoenixing again? of her. <laughs> for Reed to What's slap that? her. For Reed to slap her. Uh, not for the first time. Oh, does he physically? That's right. He does. He slaps, he slaps her. Him. That's a, oh, this is this is not the only time. It's definitely taken. I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna call whatever, I, I don't even want to get into the implications of that. But that 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 looks awful. Certainly. Um, I don't know that that's the way to handle it. Uh, but it, Sue, as Malice, I think is just like it's just not that interesting, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she's not, she doesn't become like this interesting character. Whereas Jean, like when she's Dark Phoenix, she's wrestling with like all these insane cosmic proportions and a genocide, and still trying to be Jean. And and what does that mean? And how do you solve something like that with Malice? There's really none of that, you know. Yep. It's kind of yep, yep. it's there and it's done. It's done quickly. Um, I I think I would actually prefer the story if it was just the team dealing with a Mad Bomb style hate bomb. Yeah, yeah, like just this, hate monger you know, again. and just yeah. okay. Is why hate monger still Hitler? This is a different. Not thing. in these. I don't think he is in these comics because he looks like Rorschach. No, okay. <laughs> no, this is this is a guy that Psycho Man <laughs> created. Okay, yeah. All right. Anywho, um, uh, I don't love these comics by any measure. I thought I thought the Malice thing would be a bigger deal when I started uh, reading John Burns' work for the first time, and mm-hmm. it's kind of not. But um, uh, I, I still had fun with these last two. They were like okay and kind of fun for me, but they definitely are not the highlights of this run. Two seventy five to two seventy seven were like standouts, and like yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to like track down and buy like collections of this because like this is this is turning into a like an all time favorite. Like I mean, even like miles ahead of Alpha Flight for me for John Byrne work. Like this is top tier. Dang, your beloved Alpha Flight. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about this. Alpha Flight is just good in as that it's a a fun surprise. Your favorite. Yeah. No, it's not. Maybe. Um. Oh, can I just point out to you? Do you know that? <laughs> yes, but that's a huge spoiler. Well, I know I'm not gonna put that. That's why. That's why I put on this tone of voice. Oh, when you talk quietly, people, <laughs> people don't uh, <laughs> yeah, pick up on the spoiler. Yeah, they can't hear yeah, me. We're talking in our spoiler voice. We're now, whispering everybody. right now. Please tune this out. Um, we don't read the issue right. where that's revealed in the club. I'm looking at it right now. It's a Fantastic not. Four I mean, 350, 351. We read 350 and 352 
351 is where that's revealed, apparently. <laughs> if you want to sell me on 90s Fantastic Four, you've got your work cut out for you. Yeah, you, you described it as the world's weirdest Fantastic Four. Oh, those comics are really good, oh, actually. Well, it's that um, okay, so Thank next you up all for listening. on My Marvelous Year, we have Uncanny X-Men, New Mutants, New Mutants Special Edition, X-Men Annual, back to Uncanny X-Men number 200. So we've got some really iconic and important and, frankly, good X-Men work coming up oh, yeah? before we round out 85 Part 4 with Secret Wars number with 2. Just the Get swift excited, kick baby. to the crotch. <laughs> with a real swift kick. Uh, we do have one member of the Slack who has committed. I have seen this. They have committed. <laughs> I don't understand this out, at all. Outwardly. They have not done it yet, but they have said they will read every tie-in. And, like, has planned it, out, number two. planned it out really methodically. And it's just like... I mean, the thing I want to say to you, member, and you know who you are, is you only have one life. Like, <laughs> we we only have one human life to live, and like, yeah. Secret Wars two doesn't have to be part of that. At least the the entire sequence. Have you read 70-ish. it before? No, Zach, but like, you I, haven't even read it before. All sixty ish. I mean, it even among the the Secret Wars canon between Secret Wars and Secret Wars two. Uh-huh. Like it is resoundingly disliked. Like even in comparison, I, to I the think first the main one, event. Yeah, the main event is going to give us plenty to talk about. Okay, I have good and bad. Uh-huh. The tie-ins I have tried to do. I have tried to do, but the it is it is just it's this it is exactly what you're saying. Where like I you have to commit so much time and space to something that I didn't think paid off, <laughs> and uh-huh. yeah. I've read a whole lot of events and tie-ins that don't pay off. Don't you worry. But uh, but this one in particular, I just I can't seem to do it. I don't have the endurance. And uh, I think it's it might be the only event where that's true in Marvel Comics history. So that says something. Hmm. <laughs> cool. I think I've actually read all the rest of them. Yeah, I'm glad. So if you do want um, you want access, I think, uh, let's see. Yeah, Dave on Comic Book Herald does have the complete Secret Wars reading order, which includes Secret Wars 1 and 2. Do you want all the time? I'll mention that 2 there, though, is um, that one might be a little out of date compared to what's in Marvel Unlimited. I think uh, somebody oh, okay. pointed out. Well, if so. you want to come in the Slack, somebody has actually rigorously planned this out and like has a. We have a spreadsheet of uh, Slack members who are like putting together their own little reading orders for different things they like. So, uh, which is my proudest accomplishment as yeah. a father. Oh yeah, it's very it's very sweet. I mean, I don't care about it. It's very sweet. Big Daddy does. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out those benefits, you can find them on Patreon.com/slash My Marvelous Year. Um, thanks for sticking with us through a long and uh, I'm going to say arduous conversation, but hopefully there's <laughs> some nuggets of of conversation in there that will that will. Yeah, I hope we put some nuggets nuggets in your ears. All I want is just like three hours later for you to be like, oh, I just thought of that nugget. Cool, good job, dude. <laughs> good job, dude. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's all I ask. All right. Uh, music for the show is by Disasterpiece. Yes. I'm Dave. You can find me at Comic Book Herald. He's Zach. You can find him at My Marvelous Year. Oh, and... oh something I want to mention. My Ultimate Year uh-huh. is out. Public feed. Oh, yeah. So if you're, a, if you're not a Patreon backer and you want to start listening to My Ultimate Year, the first episode should be out by now. Maybe the second. We're releasing them on the first of the month. So episode one came out June 1st. Episode two will be out July 1st. Um, so it has its own feed. And you can subscribe to it and uh, really appreciate any iTunes reviews for that um, while we get up yeah, and running. Yeah, if you got a hankering for modern comics like I was describing during my Amazing Spider-Man pity party, mm-hmm. uh, come check out My Ultimate Year. It yeah. would be well worth it. Yeah, I, I've seen. I mean, it, I've seen some people like hesitant to like tack that on to their my marvelous year reading, but like the my ultimate year goes down so easy because it's about twenty issues. And we only per drop month. one up a month. 
Yeah, it's one up a month, yeah. and these issues, like, genuinely, you can read a, a an Ultimate Spider-Man issue in six minutes. Like, they just go down so easy. <laughs> I'll do so, it in five. I'll one-up, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't want to brag, but I can read it in four. All right, thank you, everybody, and Dave, we'll see you next year. See you next year. See you next you're, year. You're everybody. cut out of that. Nope. <laughs> you, you, you cut me off? Come on. Yeah, I'm going to edit you out. <laughs> <laughs>